Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Have you ever heard of this book? <laughs> you can't see it's it. Like um, it's, it's just like complete glare. <laughs> um, the Uses of Enchantment by Bruno Bettelheim. Bruno Bettelheim? I mean, I'm being no, like dramatic. No, I don't know okay. Bruno Bettelheim. So this book, it's fascinating. It takes this approach at looking at how popular fairy tales allow children and maybe just people in general to work out their inner subconscious world. Mm-hmm. In a safe way and in yeah. a subconscious way, it's yeah. literal. It's not a literal thing whatsoever. So there's always kind of a sense of ambiguity to some of these fairy tales mm-hmm. because you are internalizing them on a level that you're not even aware of. Mm. And Cinderella, as it turns out, is probably the most popular fairy tale of them all. Every single culture in the world has its own version of this story, uh, either a boy or a girl living among the ashes at home. And the argument that he makes is that subconsciously we have all felt as children either a sense of injustice or a sense of sibling rivalry at home. Mm -hmm. And Cinderella is a way for us to work out that anxiety and enjoy the wish fulfillment of transformation. So I guess my question is, um, did you like Cinderella as a child, and who hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I still have grit under my fingernails from all that time, <laughs> picking all those... pulses and legumes out of the <laughs> fireplace. And I still don't know how to dance, so... Uh, <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> no. Look, do you know what? It's the glass slippers. Nobody can dance in those things. Uh, yeah, you know, have you ever had a blister? From glass, it's no it's joke. A mother, it is a mother. Let me tell you. Um, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I, <laughs> I was debating whether it would be appropriate to ask you if and when you think the Cinderella story will ever die, because <laughs> because right? um, yeah, because I feel like I feel like the Cinderella story. As we know it, you know, kind of as we're talking about it today, mm-hmm. you know, the Rodgers and Hammerstein version of Cinderella, which is pretty much identical to the uh, Disney version. Yeah, I mean, minus like, you know, the talking mice, but yeah. the, the French view of the Cinderella story, like okay. the Pen- Penal, I think is his name. Who, oh, Char- who... uh, Charles Perrault. Uh, yeah, I don't yes, know thank you. <laughs> but I feel like the way the story <laughs> is told in Western culture is always so flattened out it just seems like her only wish is to look pretty and to be chosen by this Mm -hmm. special special man and that is such a boring story right like and isn't it interesting that as time goes on that's only revealed more and i at least the argument in this book is the ambiguity of fairy tales is revealed more and more we analyze them the more and more we analyze them Because when you do break them down, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. And who acts like that? And Uh why is this grown woman acting like a little child? Oh, maybe because she's supposed to be a little child. But then Mm -hmm. it, it provides artists and storytellers with this really interesting predicament of there's something deep in our culture that is connecting to these stories. Mm -hmm. How do we then 
bring elements that satisfy our analytical brain that's going to be sitting there and taking in this very mm-hmm. short story over two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Watching all of these different versions of this, of, of Cinderella, of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, which I very much enjoyed watching these and, and thinking about it, I had to keep reminding myself like, no, 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 Sadie, Sadie, this is, this is for kids. But then I would come back to myself and be like, no, give the kids more credit. Yeah. And I feel like seeing different interpretations of fairy tales is is a very good example of when artists choose to feed their kids Frosted Flakes versus oatmeal. <laughs> totally. White bread versus uh, some whole grains. Uh-huh. Totally. And I think the evolution of this musical yes. is the perfect vehicle to look at in Absolutely. terms of that. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are talking about Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, which was a listener request from Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. You gave me this request a long time ago, but I wanted to make sure that I had the perfect guest. And today, I do have the perfect guest, someone who didn't know the musical at all. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Impossible things are happening every day. (laughs) No, there is a very specific reason why I invited you, Sadie, to do this episode, and I'm very grateful you're here. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Sadie Bowman. I'm making jazz hands. (laughs) As every good guest of this podcast should. I Um, I hope so. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. um, B... I'm actually feeling quite perky this morning, and it's literally 6 a.m. because you're in Taiwan. I am. Thank you. I am I am calling you from the future, actually. <laughs> I <laughs> Happy to say we still have this. musical theater. It still exists. That's so you know, cool. 14 so, hours in the future. Now, real quick, you have this really interesting corner of musical theater. Mm-hmm. In my own and little corner, in my own little chair. In your I'm own so little sorry. corner. Oh I'm gonna. Gosh. I'm challenging myself to do that to you as many times today as I can. Please drop them in. <laughs> That's when you know you've really like taken in a musical is when you're in rehearsals for it, and all of a sudden those words become your own words. Uh-huh. Like you can't describe <laughs> anything without actually going into the lyric of a song. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate the way that you've taken on this this task. But real quick, can you explain? your corner of the musical theater genre because yeah. I I love it so much. Yeah, thank you. So I run a theater company. Uh, we are called Math Theater. It's the word math and the word theater uh, smashed up in a Venn diagram. Um, and we use live theater to tell stories that inspire excitement about math and science. What? Yes, it's a lot of fun. Um And it's been really interesting because I've been doing this in one way or another for quite some time. The first version of our first show was back in 2006. Oh, wow. And that was our our inaugural show, uh, Calculus, the Musical, (laughs) Um, which 
my friends is still running today. That is the reason I am in Taiwan. Um, we just performed like version 47 of, <laughs> of this ever-changing show. Uh, yeah, for the Science Museum, the National Science Education Center here in Taipei. So uh, anyway, wow. I wrote the first version of this show with my friend who was teaching high school math. And he had a student that was having a hard time with a particular formula. It wasn't that it was too hard for her. She just literally couldn't remember it and was really struggling. So he just realized that the phrasing of how you say this formula happened to line up with a very famous melody. So he just like, without even thinking, he's like, well, for maxima and minima, just take derivatinima. And then he was just like, cool. So he just wrote this parody song specifically for this one student and it worked like a charm. And the whole class started doing it. So, you know, whenever he would just put down the test, like the class would just like start humming this song and they would just crush it. Right. And he just saw immediate engagement um, with the material enthusiasm that, you know, was just more than was there before. So he's like, okay, I'm going to spend a summer writing parody songs for every concept in Calc 1. Wow. And huge hit. And so me being a musical theater comedy jazz hands person um i was like oh you have all these songs like it'd be really cool because like most adults don't really know what calculus is right like now i'm doing my jazz hands yeah so we it started out kind of as a joke like we made this musical that is just basically a loose interpretation of the history of calculus and the major concepts and it turned out that there was a real need for this kind of approach Because we just started getting high school teachers asking us to come to their school and do it for their students. And so, you know, we realized that this really works, like using theater to, you know, to engage people with these kinds of topics. There was just just a real need for it. And so back in those days, you know, this is like the mid 2000s, everyone that I talked to was like, whoa, this is so crazy like theater and math is so weird except you know music has a lot of math like music is made of math and i'm like yeah Yeah, but that was like sure is pal yeah totally (laughs) which is cool which is fascinating actually that's a whole other conversation but like in those days it was just such a novel thing and it's been so interesting to see the evolution over the past you know what 15 years because now there's an entire movement in education called STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Um, and so it's instead now of STEM, right? instead of STEM, yes. So STEM is now, or you know, there's an approach to STEM that is called STEAM. And, and we s- add the what? Woo woo woo. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's just been really interesting to just be part of this really, I think, amazing movement in education that um, integrates all of these different parts of our brains and our emotions and our creativity and provides this pathway for people of all ages to engage with something that, you know, in certain cultures or in certain, you know, shades of our culture in the West, like people have been conditioned to think is boring or nerdy or inaccessible to me because I am not smart enough to, you know, to understand chemistry or like I don't, you know, physics isn't for me or whatever. But when there's like a fun song about it or, you know, an engaging character that you can relate to, 
you see how the world works in a different way. And anyway, it's fun. Did I answer your question? Absolutely. (laughs) Because I think that this is looking at the art form from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Musical theater has a way to sink in deeper than a lot of other art forms simply because you're engaging so many parts of your viscera. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Whether it's like the way that you feel when you hear a certain song Mm -hmm. or the way that your brain starts to remember certain melodies. I remember Mm -hmm. in elementary school doing times tables, I I had the hardest time remember six times seven and six times eight. And Mm -hmm. my mom made up six times seven is 42 and six times eight is 48. And I still remember it to this day. That was in Mm -hmm. third grade. Yeah. I admit I have a really hard time memorizing numbers. Mm -hmm. So if I'm like traveling somewhere and I need to remember an address, like I will always make it rhyme with something. Like, I'll just, like, make up some other word that rhymes with the number. Right. And that will help me remember it. It really works. And so to see the potential in the art form about calculus, about chemistry, about just math and science in general, I feel like is the perfect fit for this musical Mm -hmm. that's talking not only about dreamers and seeing what's Mm -hmm. possible, but also Rodgers and Hammerstein themselves Cinderella was the first musical written for television. There had been other musicals filmed for television, including Peter Pan, including Wonderful Town, I Mm -hmm. think. But Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote Cinderella for TV because it had the potential of reaching so many more people at one time. And it did. Mm -hmm. When it premiered, it was like 107 million people saw it at the exact same time because it was filmed live. Yeah, and that blew my mind when I read that because I had to like stop for a minute and be like, this wasn't 107 million people who streamed it. No. Right? These were like 107 million people who were all sitting butts on sofas. At the same time. You know, at the same time. That's kind of mind-blowing. Absolutely. And in order for that to happen in a theater, I think Richard Rodgers said at some point, it would have to run for 100 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible that they saw the potentiality in that. And I mm-hmm. don't think it was an easy process either. Oscar Hammerstein said that it took him like seven months to write the lyrics and, and book for this show. And this is after a career, a very long mm-hmm. career, <laughs> to have written Oklahoma and Carousel and The King mm-hmm. and I and Showbo mm-hmm. and everything else that he did. And then, of course, Richard Rodgers had an entire career with Lorenz Hart before he even, you know, got together with Mm -hmm. Oscar Hammerstein. These are two people at the top of their craft to then apply everything they've learned to a very simple fairy tale Mm -hmm. for a medium that was the next frontier for musical theater. And they proved their own point, which is making impossible things possible. Yeah, and making it accessible. Yeah, because, I mean, that's something we always struggle with with theater, right? Is how do we get people into the seats? How do we get people who can't afford uh, the price of a ticket or don't have the ability to travel to Mm -hmm. a regional theater that's, that's close to where they live? This was happening in their living rooms. Yeah. I also got really excited when I realized that when I was, you know, when I started doing research, because as Jeffrey mentioned, he asked me to talk about this musical. And I was like, sure, I have never seen it. I don't know <laughs> anything about it. Anyway, I I was really excited because I feel like in a lot of ways they were doing something that all of us indie theater artists are <laughs> 
trying desperately to do now in 2020. So which true. Is, you know, we can't get together in the theater, whether we're 107 million people or seven people, like we just can't get together right now. So, you know, how do we do live theater, not, you know, videos, the immediacy of the performers of what they are giving us in real time. Like that's it's just so hard to translate when you're not in the room. Yeah. But we got to figure it out. Now, did you watch the original original like the 1957? Okay. Which is really entertaining. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many things that I, I love about it. And you also see like the primitive nature of okay, they only had three camera setups. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the structure of the songs or even scenes are based on how many angles and cameras they can have working at the same time. The 1965 and the 1997, those were not live. Correct. correct? Those were basically made-for-TV movies. Exactly. But the 50s version, Julie Andrews, that was live theater on TV. Yeah. And so, so much of how it's put together is based on simply the technical restraints or boundaries that they had to work with. Which they did an amazing job. Like, I know how much work it takes to coordinate like a Zoom call, (laughs) right? (laughs) This is like heavy-duty, well-produced production. Very impressive. It's also pretty incredible. I mean, what are your opinions on like the recent live musicals that happened over, say, the past five years? On television. On television. Yeah, like the the Sound of Music Live. The oh, you know, I didn't see that. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that question. Really? Because I don't. Well, think see, I've that's kind of the them. interesting thing. Is like a lot of uh, this is gonna this is a gross generalization, and forgive mm-hmm. me, people, because I know it doesn't apply to everybody. But in general, the theater people who watched watched so that they could like trash it on Twitter, mm. and then everyone else didn't watch because they weren't really interested. So mm. like, mm-hmm. there, there was this interesting divide in the theater community, and I do have lots of friends who like watched and were very supportive of their friends and very supportive of getting the art form out there, absolutely. But in general, that was kind of what I saw most. And it made me wonder, okay, well, what is that backlash coming from? Is it coming from jealousy And did it exist in the Cinderella day? Mm. And the answer is yes, absolutely. In fact, Mm. when you look at the reviews of Cinderella in 1957, Mm. they were pretty harsh. I think Mm. mainly because Rodgers and Hammerstein at this point had become titans of musical theater. And so they were like, well, it's no South Pacific. How do you follow your own? Yeah. I saw one review that complained about... The stepsisters being reduced to vaudeville clowns, like how dare they? And that the score was just kind of a rehash of everything else that they've done in their career. All of these things that I'm that I felt like were really harsh, especially yeah, looking really back harsh. on it. And I'm like, where does that what does that come from? Yeah. It's weird. And I, you know, I speak for every theater artist, I think, when it's just a constant anxiety because you're because you're, you're so vulnerable and you're putting so much of yourself out there and I think it I, my theory is that it comes out of insecurity right like I just want everyone to know that I know a good performance when I see it um how has that been for you in terms of trying something new mm-hmm. with your musical theater yeah I mean I think for me I'm just kind of doing my own thing. (laughs) Like, I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to emulate anything else. I work very hard to make what I feel is generally good quality theater, you know, on a small scale with a small budget. 
Um, but at the same time, it's also we are catering, I think, to a very different audience. Like we are not necessarily creating theater for the theater going public per se. But it's even scarier because you're doing it for high school students. Oh, God. It's, but it's also awesome. Like, Because, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is true. Like, especially when we do, oh, my gosh. One of our productions is a musical about uh, Marie Curie chemistry theme musical uh, which is all original music everything is original and it is one of my proudest things that I have created so far in my life the worst place to perform it is an all-girls high school (laughs) it's so bad it's so scary oh my gosh and the first time we did one I was like oh this is gonna be so empowering like I just can't wait to share this story with all these amazing young women and oh they hate me they hate me so much oh my god when you ask who hurt me, right. <laughs> what is the trauma? It was that uh, all-girls school it, it when you were performing your musical. But it's it's okay because like I, I'm at a point in my life where it's like whether you got the message now or you'll get the message later, I shared something that I feel is a very empowering message. Um, you chose to be, to be making fun of me like while I was sincerely singing to you. That's... <laughs> more about you than it is about me absolutely <laughs> right it, it kind of goes back to something that i talked about now i'm realizing in the very first episode of this podcast which was that i believe musical theater is very confronting to an audience because to see someone mm. sing i love you instead of just say i love you is incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. and so if you in any way are uncomfortable with that amount of vulnerability, Mm -hmm. you are going to actively reject it and protect Mm -hmm. yourself. And that can be laughing at it. That can be saying that musicals are dumb. I believe that if you are not comfortable with musical theater, then you're probably not very comfortable with feelings in general. Yep. I would agree with that 100%. And who as a teenager is comfortable with feelings? I was. I loved passion when I was. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I am Fosca. But other than that. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But would you would you posit that your love of musical theater helped cultivate your sense of emotion and your relationship Absolutely. with your emotions at an early age? So that's why I'm saying we need to be yeah. giving our children nutritious art to consume because Thank it you. makes them into well-adjusted people. It gives them tools to better their chances of becoming well-adjusted people. Amen. Amen. So Rogers and Hammerstein, so so Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella, they basically got approached by NBC to write an original musical. They were like, "Awesome, we're thinking Cinderella." NBC is like, "Great." They go to a producer who happens to work for CBS to ask for advice about television production, and mm-hmm. he says, "Oh, actually, I I don't know if you'd be interested, but we just signed a contract with Julie Andrews to like create something for her at CBS." And Rodgers and Hammerstein were like, "Oh, okay, great, bye NBC," and wow. they go they go to CBS solely because they really wanted to work with Julie Andrews, who at this point was a Broadway star having starred in My Fair Lady. Destiny. Yeah. They get this amazing cast, which now that I look back at it, I'm in love with so many of them. Edie Adams is like the fairy godmother mm-hmm. who like was kind of known as a sex pot. And so like the fact that she's mm-hmm. in more of a like a warm role, but sassy and fun as can be. You got freaking Kay Ballard and Alice Ghostly as the stepsisters. Which who are- I love them. <laughs> That's they, 
They are absolutely brilliant. Still make me laugh out loud when I see their scenes. Correct me if you think differently, but I think this musical is probably the most traditional musical comedy that Rodgers and Hammerstein ever wrote. Absolutely. And I was going to say, it gave me all the like... I don't know, did you watch Nick at Night as a kid? Sure. And like, it was like all the great things about 50s television, right? Mm. Like the bit with the window where she keeps, the window keeps flying open. Close the window. I'm like, that's straight out of I Love Lucy. Like, it's just so good. And like the king and queen, like this. All of their banter. The queen is like dusting. You're like, queens don't dust. Like she's like Like, darning his underwear. Yeah, but like. In this royal setting, right? That, I just well, felt like that was very 50s television. <laughs> so 50s television, which actually makes, like, one of the most uninteresting characters in the piece originally was the prince. Because mm-hmm. everything that we hear about him is not from him. It's mm-hmm. through his parents. Mm-hmm. And yet you see, like, why they did that. Because we're talking 50s television. Mm-hmm. What better way to introduce an element of what the parents might be going through than by treating the king and queen just as like your normal average. Yeah, average mom and dad. Average mom and dad, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Especially when you got like an evil stepmother who otherwise would be the only other parent Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the whole piece. Mm -hmm. So, So it's a huge hit, at least in terms of who watches it. It's the most watched thing to that point. Wow. Julie Andrews gets nominated for an Emmy for it. And you said that you were a big Julie fan, yes? I do love her. She's kind of, even though she's alive <laughs> and everything, like, she's I, my patron saint. Like, sometimes I say prayers to Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Julie Andrews is so, like, practically perfect in every way. But, mm-hmm. like, it's because she's as lovely as she is intelligent. It's utterly, and it's utterly sincere. Like, mm-hmm. it's not an act. No. Ever. You see her acting as a servant, you know, to Mm -hmm. her stepsisters and stepmother, and Mm -hmm. she doesn't seem like a wet rag. See, I thought she seemed a bit more like a wet rag than I'm accustomed to her being. Fair enough. I mean, she was definitely no shortage of personality to Mm -hmm. her Cinderella, but I also was sort of confused a a, a little bit. Yeah, because like you said, when you start to analyze this character... Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel this way when Fairy Godmother shows up. You're like, wait, so you have a godmother and you're living there? Like, go move in with Godmother. Super confused about that situation. I got the sense that they had they knew each other already. Like, oh hey godmother. And I had the same thought. I was just like, why is she not living with this clearly superior role model of a person? Like So you've got all of these little things that don't quite add up. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is like when we were talking about when you have to make some decisions in in adapting these original fairy tales to a more fleshed out story. This 1957 Cinderella reveals some of the holes. So the 1957 one happens. Then they record the 1965 one with Leslie Ann Warren, Celeste Holm, who was the original Edo Annie in Oklahoma, was the fairy Mm -hmm. godmother. Another great cast. It's another huge hit. They make a couple of tweaks. Mm -hmm. Then the next one I want to talk about is this 90s one. Mm -hmm. Now, there was this amazing article written a couple of years ago about the Brandy Whitney Houston Cinderella. It was produced by Craig Zayden for ABC. It was like a revamp into the wonderful world of Disney, which was mm-hmm. this, you know, thing that happened every week on ABC. Mm-hmm. And 
I think Cinderella was the first one, but then they also did Annie with, you know, Audra McDonald and mm. and Kathy Bates. Anyway, these TV musicals started having a, a resurgence, and Rob Marshall is the choreographer for it, so mm. you have a lot of great talent. And then this mm. cast, this mm-hmm. cast is insane. It was originally mm-hmm. supposed to be Whitney as Cinderella. <gasps> really? Yeah, but it took so long to to <gasps> develop it. And her schedule was so busy that by the time she got around to it, she was too old for Cinderella. Wow. So she was like, well, I'll be fairy godmother. Yeah. But I'm going to help pick the Cinderella. Yeah. And in this really long article, which I can I can post the, uh, if you'd like to read it. Yeah, I would. It talks about how the struggle that they had at Disney or at ABC to hire both a black Cinderella and a black fairy godmother. Mm-hmm. There were certain executives that were like, one's enough. Oh my God. Wow. Can't we get Jewel? Remember the singer Jewel? <laughs> can't we can't we get Jewel for Cinderella? And Whitney wasn't having it. Yeah, and really. I and the creators weren't having it. They wanted to create this right. beautiful, colorful quilt of a TV movie. And I honestly think that this 90s version of Cinderella is responsible for how I see casting. Really? As an adult. And I think that a lot of people in my generation would agree. Mm -hmm. We grew up seeing this and loving it and seeing no problem with the colorful way that that show is cast. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. No, I think it's beautiful. I was really impressed watching it because I was a little – because, I again, I – knew nothing about this musical uh-huh. um i admit i was a little nervous because i was like "Ooh, how is like just thinking of cinderella you know this house servant you know sound familiar does that sound like yeah. any situation any sort of uh, historical you know? yeah right <laughs> so accuracy. i was like how are they gonna do this with a black actress and not you know not have to talk about it yeah um so i was so pleasantly surprised and i was like this was the 90s this mm-hmm. is awesome like this yeah. is this the 90s uh, yeah, were killing I, it yeah and absolutely I, beautiful so i think in many ways i was surprised to learn and and, and it's naivete because i was a child to mm-hmm. get into 2019 2020 and have these conversations i'm like wait didn't we solve this all we had cinderella right <laughs> And the the truth is is that one thing doesn't change yep. the entire culture. Yeah. But it certainly does point the way. And man, were they pioneers in that. Yeah. And once again, you look at the reviews of that Cinderella, not great, mm-hmm. saying that it lacked magic and not one really ounce of praise for the... Really? Yeah. The diversity mm-hmm. in its cast. <clears throat> this was far and away my favorite version of the three TV versions. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> now, apparently they had a really hard time finding the stepmother who was en- ended up being played by Bernadette Peters. They weren't just like, oh, I know. Oh, my gosh, that surprises me. Nobody would do it because of what you're talking about. Nobody wanted to be the mean white lady. Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. Being mean to, yeah. you know, the black stepdaughter. Yeah. yeah. And Bernadette Peters was like, I'll do it. <laughs> and- <laughs> But because she's Bernadette Peters and because they also had, you know, two stepdaughters that mm-hmm. were also incredibly diverse in, mm-hmm. in their casting, mm-hmm. um, I didn't think twice about it. Yeah. So, 
I also, just speaking of the stepmother character in Bernadette Peters, like another thing that I really enjoyed about that version was that her character was so much more developed. I mean, it's not that she her behavior was ever justified or that mm-hmm. we like ever sympathized with her, but we did get to see a lot more of her motivations. She was not a flat character. No, they gave her Falling in Love with Love, mm-hmm. which is a Rogers and Hart song from mm-hmm. Boys from Syracuse, I think. Okay. And so she sings this song about falling in love with love is falling for make-believe. She's basically mm-hmm. teaching her daughters, this is a game and we're going to play mm-hmm. it and we're going to win. Yep. yep, 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 yep. Now, in addition to the original songs, every time that this this show gets redone, there are interplotted songs from Richard Rodgers' catalog. And that's the, the case in the 90s version, as well as when it starts being produced on stage. Um, I believe New York Opera produced the show several times. In that version, Boys and Girls Like You and Me was in there, which was a cut song from Oklahoma. Mm. Uh, Cut to 2013 when they decide to do a full-scale Broadway revival. And in order to do so, they completely redo the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they completely rewrite the script. And the fellow who does it is a guy by the name of Douglas Carter Bean. Have you seen any of his shows or uh, things that he's written? Not that I am aware of. Okay. Except for a super illegal bootleg (laughs) iPhone recording. Of Cinderella? Of Cinderella. (laughs) That is on YouTube. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I I want you to to chime in because I I did not watch that one. Uh-huh. But I wanted it hear... was almost unwatchable. <laughs> it was, was it? on a phone, yeah. Yeah. I mean just because it was like someone's like shaky footage and you like could tell hiding you know... behind their coat yeah, or something. Yeah, totally. He's known as a comedy writer, I would mm-hmm. say. And the musicals that he has written are very much that way. He did Xanadu. There's a self awareness to his writing. Mm-hmm. There's a sarcasm. And I think he was hired to bring that to this 2013 version, that if you're going to write a new Cinderella, you need to be self-aware enough to recognize all of these things that we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. that we have a a heroine who can seem like a wet blanket. We Mm -hmm. have a prince who's and yet is supposed to be rescuing this girl from her life, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. That's the one I kind of want to go through in terms of plot because it will now be the producible version from here on out. Shall we? Yeah. Okay. The musical opens and the story of Cinderella begins with men. Um, Yeah. Um, It felt what honestly what it felt like to me was like somebody looked at it and was like, you know, there need to be more strong male characters in this script. <laughs> like, I don't feel like there's enough male representation in this story. And so we'll create like another, we'll create another strong male character to balance out the prince. And I'm just like, okay, great. Is that <laughs> like, what we needed? Is that what we needed? Like, yeah. you know, you had it, you could have made a stronger female character out of your female character. Like, I don't know. That that was kind of my take on the plot changes. So we've got this prince. And the prince wasn't really even introduced in the original until much, much later and had zero mm-hmm. character development. At this musical version, he's one of the very first characters we meet. And he mm-hmm. is, like, fighting giants and slaying dragons. And he's, all, he's very bored by it. 
and he is singing this song called me, the "Who Am I?" Yeah, "Me, Who Am I," which was cut from a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical called "Me and Juliet," which was a flop. It was one of their first big flops, so no one knows that song. Uh, they put it into this Cinderella. And basically what the prince is saying is, I'm doing all mm-hmm. of the princely things. It all comes very easy to me. But I have no idea who I am. Big departure from the original. His parents mm-hmm. are dead. Mm-hmm. And he's essentially preparing to take over the throne. He has two dudes who are helping prepare him for that. One by the name of Sebastian, who we're getting like Jafar vibes from. <laughs> And Lord Pinkleton, who's like the herald. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now, as they're coming back from this like battle, they run into Cinderella. Yeah, I think it's the same sort of setup as they had in one of the movie or in one of the TV versions. Where he's like, he's like, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Let's stop at this cottage, and apparently is very impressed (laughs) that someone was willing to give him a glass of water, which is. Also weird because it's like, when has anyone ever denied you anything you ask for ever in your life? Like, <laughs> this surprises you. Right. Like, you're j- like j- dressed in like your most handsome armor on these like amazing, beautiful horses, and like they don't turn you away. <laughs> like, you, I mean, I, I like his attitude of gratitude. I shouldn't yeah. be so. No, good I shouldn't for, be so good critical. for you, Topher. Which is like also such like a hot name for the like twenty thirteen. Totally, totally. Like it can't be Christopher. It's like Topher. It's totally Topher. Um, it's all good. I just feel felt like a very like thin veil of like oh we want it to be more interesting and more depth than he just thinks she's hot. Well, and, and she like, does she does stick up for crazy lady. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So there are also a couple of other characters that would get introduced. The town crazy lady, who's named mm-hmm. Crazy Marie. <laughs> and then there's also this guy named Jean-Michel. Jean-Michel, and, that's right. And he's a revolutionary. He's mm-hmm. warning everyone, and is a friend of Cinderella, but warning everyone that the government is overstepping their bounds and treating its own citizens poorly. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to shout this to the rooftops. And Crazy Lady is annoying. However, Cinderella kind of sticks up for both of them, Mm -hmm. and that impresses the prince. But because Jean-Michel is a a symbol of this, like, red, the blood of angry men, Uh (laughs) uh, Sebastian, a.k.a. Jafar... Is uh, feels <laughs> like threatened. They, yeah, feels threatened, right? That there's going to be like a coup. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, he seems to be running the government his own way mm-hmm. and keeping the prince in the dark about what he's doing. But in order to gloss everything over, he's like, let's throw a ball. We'll find you a wife because you're about to be king. And nothing hushes the descent of the masses like a beautiful party. Mm-hmm. So... One of the other first plot twists, the ball is meant to, like, quiet down the descent of... The the revolution, yeah. Of the revolution. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. This gives way to the prince is giving a ball. I love Rodgers and Hammerstein so much. They're so great at Mm -hmm. introducing musical themes that are Mm -hmm. iconic and... So catchy, yeah. But one of these is... And as everyone is singing The Prince is Giving a Ball, you've got the counterpoint of Jean-Michel singing, I think, Now is the Time, 
which was a song cut from South Pacific, interestingly mm. enough. Now, the thing about this party is that it makes everybody happy, n- no one more so than Cinderella's evil stepmother and stepsisters. We learn that Cinderella's stepmother married a man for love, and then he died. And so mm-hmm. then she married Cinderella's dad for money, and then mm-hmm. he died, but at least she got a house out of it. Again, like for me, like I just, no matter what the context is, I just get very frustrated all the time with the way women are depicted on stage. Mm. And even though I really loved, I like, I really love the stepsisters' characters and performances in all of these versions. But like, I felt like having the one stepsister who was not mean, you know, like yeah. the nice stepsister. M- more who plot was in twists, love. right? Yep. Total plot twist. That added some interesting texture to Cinderella's experience because mm-hmm. this person who I guess just wasn't ever really that mean to begin with now like they share the seat you know I'm getting ahead in the plot of course but um they end up kind of coming to an understanding and she has this yeah. ally um, it's very much ever after which is one of my favorite mm, Cinderella adaptations to be honest mm, mm, the film cool. ever after very cool. I haven't seen that one either. I guess <gasps> really? I've never seen. I've never seen anything. I just don't watch things. I guess. Yeah. No. So I. I get it. But girl, you gotta check out Ever After. Okay. The whole thing, top to bottom, is really great. Sweet. Awesome. So I both yeah. enjoyed the development of. I think Gabrielle was her name. The stepsister. Mm-hmm. The nice stepsister. Yeah, but it also kind of diluted that archetypical dynamic, right? Where you, where Cinderella is alone. Yeah, she has really nothing except for this inner world. Mm-hmm. And if there is any theme in Cinderella, in Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, it's that dreamers change the world. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that keeps, I think, especially when I see Julie Andrews do it, the only thing that keeps her from being such a total wet blanket or what's another word for that oh gosh soggy washcloth um (laughs) uh overcooked noodle yeah just like perhaps um just a boiled piece of spaghetti (laughs) Uh is this like deep inner world and she sings a song called in my own little corner in which she talks about everything that she spends her time dreaming about. And that's what really provides the escape for the reality in which she finds herself. And as much as we want to, I think, judge her for not just getting out of that mm-hmm. environment, yeah. I think that that might be a projection on our part because I think there are plenty of us who deal. <laughs> oh, for sure. And and it's like with any domestic abuse situation, like there are a million reasons why people stay in these, you know, it's a very complex, very complex situation. And it is very easy for us to judge from the outside. You know, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just leave? Go live with your godmother. Why? She seems like, yeah. Yeah. But in singing this, we see how alive she really is. If only in her own little corner. Now, when it comes time to go to the ball, the stepsisters and stepmother take off. Jean-Michel, the revolutionary, basically comes and has a little scene with Cinderella and says, you know what would be awesome? Nobody's listening to me about all of the injustices that are happening in the government. What if you went to the ball, talked to the prince, and introduced 
these themes to him because maybe he'll mm-hmm. actually listen to you. And she's like, ha, you're crazy. What would I wear? Enter Crazy Marie, the mm-hmm. crazy town lady who magically turns into the fairy godmother in what is quite possibly the most exciting costume change you've ever seen in your life. There are some amazing costume reveals. Up until this point, the costume reveals of Cinderella had always been you run off the stage, you change your costumes, Mm -hmm. and then you run back Mm -hmm. on as quickly as you can. And it was impressive simply because of the amount of time in which you were able to do it. What Mm -hmm. they wanted to do with the revival is not let them leave the stage. Every time there was a transformation, because we love a makeover, Mm -hmm. it was going to happen in front of the audience. And this first one is with Marie, who turns into the fairy godmother and says, in a Beauty and the Beast sort of way, I am the enchantress, you were nice to me, so now I'm going to grant Mm -hmm. your wish by going to the ball and carrying out Jean-Michel's wish. His wish, Mm -hmm. essentially, which is to talk Mm -hmm. to the prince. So thus begins one of the other great tunes of the musical Impossible. It's such a great tune. It's the lyrics are brilliant and also make me cry. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I watched this within days after having a woman vice president elect. Mm. And yeah, I'm just like, oh, so so good. Oh, that's beautiful. I also love how uh, contrary the fairy godmother is, falls are all in fiddle-dee-dee and fiddle-dee-faddle-dee-foodle. All the dreamers in the world are, you know, dizzy in the noodle. She, yeah, she's kind of playing my, my games yeah, a little she, bit. She like, is 100% doing, like, reverse psychology of, yeah, you are kind of crazy yeah. in your own little corner, aren't you? To try and get Cinderella to, like, stand up, girl! You got this! Mm-hmm. Um, And it works, and magic happens, and Cinderella has her amazing transformation into a gorgeous gown. She's wearing glass slippers because her stepsisters were all wearing Venetian glass elements, Mm -hmm. which is a weird, interesting part of the story. And um, then they're off. We go to the ball before even intermission, which is a huge Mm -hmm. change. She shows up to the ball. The prince sees her. They fall madly in love in seconds. And look, nobody writes a waltz like Richard Rogers. Boy, oh boy. They sing 10 minutes ago. Oh, is this when Cinderella starts the, the conversation about democracy? Um, I can't remember because I was sort of three quarters watching this iPhone version. So I'm not sure. the authority on the script. If you no. have it in front of you, um, you will say better. But in my memory... They fell in love, and then the clock struck, and she's like, I got to go. Oh, oh by the way, terrible things are happening to the peasants. You should do something. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I remember it, but my memory is not great. It takes me numerous viewings sometimes to remember things the way they actually happen. So apologies that, if the script writer I, is listening and I just butchered what you did. I If Douglas Carter Bean is listening to this podcast, dude, message me on Instagram and we'll <laughs> we'll record together. Uh, otherwise, I think you're fine. Um, <laughs> so the clock strikes 12 because, of course, magic mm-hmm. only lasts until midnight. Mm-hmm. So she runs out. He's like, wait, no. Her slipper falls off. And then in the most gagged moment, she's like, nope, I'm going to grab my shoe. And she leaves. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really brilliant way to end the first act. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, Wait, I, I what? didn't see it coming. Yeah. I was like, oh, boy. 
what on earth is going to happen? So she takes her slipper with her, and then Act 2 starts. Let's see, how does Act 2 start? I think it picks up right where it left off. So Act 2 picks back up at the palace, still at the ball, and we have Mm -hmm. the stepsister's lament. One of my favorite songs from this whole thing, I found it really interesting because so this is the song where the stepsisters are like, what does he see in her? Why does he want a girl who's merely lovely? And I know that we are supposed to empathize with Cinderella and to see them as these petty, jealous wenches because this is how women who have opinions are often portrayed and this is and we love seeing female competition but i'm just like you know that's a fair point like I it's a great really, question yeah because it's like yeah she literally all she did was show up like <laughs> she showed up and looked hot and just got an instant pass right like the, the golden end. ticket straight to the prize which i, I, just, I think Oh, I think Carrie ahead. Fisher, Carrie Fisher said it best when the the new Star Wars came out and fans were outraged that she dared to turn into an old woman. <laughs> you know, and she said something like, you know, youth and beauty are not accomplishments. Oof. Right? And that's what I was thinking of when I saw every time I saw the scene, I'm like, no, that's not she didn't accomplish any she didn't Well, it's also interesting that that song is so delightful because of the history leading up to it, Mm -hmm. that never ever did they ever say Mm -hmm. that Cinderella at home was merely lovely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? They had no problem looking at her one specific way for their entire relationship Mm -hmm. until she shows up in a dress and she's like, and they're like, ugh, who is that? Uh She's she's probably just pretty, not realizing that it's the same person who they have for so long treated another way. So good. It does kind of, in a reverse sort of way, teach the don't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. Because we mm-hmm. see them judging someone they already have judged mm-hmm. in a completely yes. different way. Yeah, absolutely. Very good point. I love that, though. I do want to see a performance of The Stepsister's Lament that's more empowering. And it feels a little bit more so in the revival, be- simply because one of the stepsisters couldn't really participate in the same way that mm-hmm. she used to. Mm-hmm. And they use a whole chorus, There's which like was an ensemble. interesting. Yeah. That's probably one of the biggest differences from 1957 is now instead of Stepsisters being a character number, it's like a belting showdown where everyone's mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. beautifully bright and pingy. Um, but they all sound fantastic. Great. So then good old Toph is like, hey, you know, go chase after Cinderella. They do. But like everything's gone. Like there's just a pumpkin and what? Uh And Cinderella reviews the entire evening. She sings about how he was tall. She sings Mm -hmm. about when you're driving through the moonlight. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it brings her closer to her stepsisters and stepmother for the first time. Because even though she's pretending that she wasn't there and is only imagining they are caught up in the moment and almost, I think, are wishing that that's how it had been for them. Mm-hmm. And the only one who actually sees that Ella was the girl at the ball is Gabrielle, the nice stepsister. That's when they sort of form their alliance. Right. And I, I think if I remember, Cinderella is like, oh, no, like, don't tell it. Please, 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 please don't tell anyone. 
And Gabrielle is like, well, okay. Again, I may be remembering this wrong, but she's like, okay, I'll keep your secret if I tell you a secret and you keep my secret. And so they're like, okay, we'll keep each other's secrets. And so she tells Cinderella how she's in love with Jean-Michel. Oh, right, right, right. Right, And she's like, but don't tell. So they're like best friends. Because also I think the the stepmother is hoping Gabrielle will marry Topher. And isn't that like set up by Jafar? I think so. It is. It's very deliberate. Yeah. I, I remember she's very specifically like this daughter of mine is mm. going to to do this. Right. Um. So yeah, the stakes are high for Gabrielle. Um. So they hatch a plot because then like the prince has decided to have a banquet now. Yes. Because he thinks that the b- maybe <laughs> this girl will come back. It's like, look, the ball was great. Let's go banquet now. We're going to uh-huh. just go full Sizzler, you know, yep. style with a buffet. Yep. <laughs> yep. Before people have even had a chance to change out of their clothes, just have them come right back. This is like hangover breakfast. Right. Like, <laughs> just, just come right back. We got hollandaise. It's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they hatch a plot and Gabrielle is going to pretend to be sick. So she doesn't have to go because Jean-Michel has asked her out to come work with him at the soup kitchen, right? Oh, of course. And so course. she's because she every really musical has to... their soup kitchen subplot. Yes, that, but that's yes. <laughs> that's really sweet. I love that. Yeah. Um, so they have their little date to go feed the poor. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. all of the rich people are going to the banquet. I mean, there's certainly mm-hmm. something there for mm-hmm. haves and have-nots. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be the opportunity for Ella to meet up with Topher again. Yes. And so yeah. So the deal is that Gabrielle is going to pretend to get sick. And then as soon as they leave, she's going to give Cinderella her dress so she has something to wear so she can run up and, like, join the party. Mm. So, so you know, she's got the dress and she's got the invitation, like, the ticket so she can get in the door. But then... But then Madam Stepmom steps in. She comes back. (laughs) Yeah. Stepmom steps in (laughs) and ruins it. Yes. Rips the dress. Enter Crazy Marie again who is about to sing a beautiful There's Music in You, mm-hmm. um, which Whitney brought to the screen mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And Ella's like, look, I can't go to the ball. My clothing is in tatters. And so then Marie's like, yes, perhaps we need even more tatters, more rags, rags, rags. Mm-hmm. And Ella throws the rags in the air. And as they land, her gown has now transformed again into something even more beautiful. It's like gold, right? Yeah, that's the one I watched. I just kept like dragging my YouTube bar back like three times to watch. I was like, how did they do that? Like what physically happened oh to do gosh. that costume? I And I am like a sucker for a costume reveal. It's like my favorite. Absolutely. Like, all of my shows, like there's a running joke with one of my friends every time I have a new show. He's like, so when does the costume reveal happen? <laughs> like, oh, don't worry. It always happens. <laughs> It'll happen. <laughs> um, but Patience. yeah, that, I was just like, that is a w- amazing feat of engineering. Because yeah, That's I, so I hope That's... the costume designer is very, very rich now because that was amazing. William Ivy Long won the Tony Award for costume design for Cinderella. Um, what's interesting is as elaborate and in- ingenious as this is, he also was the costume designer for the revival of Chicago. Which was just like black slips and fishnets, you know? So what an amazing artist he is. Yeah. In fact, I would say that most people who saw this revival came away talking about the costume changes, Mm -hmm. which when does that ever happen? Yeah. Very impressive. Ella shows up in her 2.0 dress 
and has more of a conversation with good old Toph. Before this, I think she had a conversation with Jean-Michel where, if I'm remembering right, Jean-Michel was like, if only I could just go, again, he's like, if only I could just go talk to the prince. And she's like, well, why don't you? Like, I've talked to him. He's a nice guy. Mm. Like, I bet, you know, so she kind of convinces Jean-Michel to actually finally, like, stop talking the talk and walk the walk. And and do it. talk to the prince, yeah. That's so cool. So now... They went and, like, served the soup, then got a group Uh of them to go to the banquet. Uh So they join Ella at the banquet and basically introduce democracy to the prince and say, hey, what if we had an election and each person gets a vote? And I think the way that came about was basically they told the prince about all these terrible things that were happening. And they're like, we need you to do something about it. And the prince was just like, I don't know. Like, I really want to help you. Like, I really like you guys. (laughs) I really think you're cool. But I just, I don't know. I never really learned how to be a good leader. I just don't know what to do. And for some reason, Ella has this book that Jean-Michel had given her that's like a book about basically like different cultures of the world. And the fairy godmother kind of intervenes and makes it so that the book like flies out of Cinderella's hand and falls to the floor to give her the idea that like, oh, if you don't know how to be a good leader, why don't you read this book? And I think it'll give you ideas. So he looks at the book and he's like, oh, chapter two. I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. but he's like, democracy. I read about this in university. Yeah, we could do that. (laughs) How do you feel about this? Because my analytical brain is like, awesome. Mm -hmm. And then my soul is a little bit like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I don't want to go to Cinderella and learn about politics and government. Yeah, same. I think same, but like slightly different. And like we were talking about this. um, My partner Ricky and I were talking about this uh, yesterday. My dress rehearsal for this conversation. (laughs) We were just, I was just like watching a lot of Cinderella and processing my feelings about it. Sure. um, And realized that it, at its heart, like it is an anti monarchy story is one way to look at it, right? Good point, because she's because, not of royal blood. She's yeah, invading like, the monarchy. And this is also, like, I admit that, like, we kind of came to this conclusion because we've been watching The Crown <laughs> on Netflix. <laughs> but, like, realizing that, like, monarchy is this, like, very vulnerable institution, right? You cannot invite a commoner. It is just too dangerous. So in no realistic situation would the prince give a ball and invite any rando to come in Mm. and like scour the kingdom looking for any person who the shoe might fit right because these matches are so carefully orchestrated and our generations in the making and are all about political allyship look you may have changed my mind about this because i had never thought that cinderella from the get-go was basically on its way to democracy anyway in terms of breaking Mm -hmm. up the traditions of monarchy. Yeah. So like to just kind of be more overt with it isn't that big of a shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't I didn't think about that. It's a very Mm -hmm. good point. But I felt honestly disappointed that her role in introducing democracy (laughs) to To the kingdom. To this kingdom. She was still like totally on the sidelines. Like It still took a man (laughs) to have this idea Mm -hmm. and for her to put the two smart men together so they could make change, right? Mm -hmm. 
And I'm not saying that there's not value in being a, a connector and a communicator. And, right. you know, a, that is a valuable ingredient <laughs> to society, right? But if the story is about Cinderella, I wanted her to have more of a role. You know, I wanted her to have the idea. That is interesting. Now, Banquet goes a little late. And once again, it's like nearing midnight. She's like, crap, gotta go. She (laughs) runs. The prince runs after her. She's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take off my shoe this time. Leave it for you. There's Mm -hmm. your little hint of how to find Mm me. Peace out. Yeah, I did like that a lot, actually. It's very cute. There are really a lot of great opportunities for chemistry between Cinderella and Prince in this that I think give me butterflies. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, which is really sweet. Instead of just like, oh, now they're in love. Let's go. Let's I want to see what's happening with the stepsisters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then how do we end? It's pretty quick, right? They try on the shoes, uh, but then like the twist, the slight, I mean, slight twist, the whole village is like gathered in front of the palace, I think. And they're like, everybody's trying on the shoe and they're like, are there any other maidens who haven't tried on the shoe? And Cinderella presents herself and she's like, I haven't tried on the shoe, which is the first time I think that we've seen Cinderella do that. That's awesome. Usually it's like she has to be kind of cajoled somehow mm-hmm. or like or somebody has again. to open. Yeah, exactly. But this time it's like this was my plan mm-hmm. <laughs> all along. I am here to cash in my chips, please. That's so great. So she sits herself down. They try the slipper on. It fits. Everyone gasps. There's this like four line scene where the stepmother is. Oh, yeah. It was you. I've treated you so poorly, and you probably will never forgive me. And then Ella says, I will now say the three kindest words I know. I forgive you. Which is nice. It's lovely. It's a great message. I just felt like the whole kindness thing was kind of heavy handed Mm. in this version Uh, because we didn't even talk. We didn't talk about the that really weird scene at the first ball. The ridicule scene. Oh my gosh. Of it's course. It's really where they have this really weird game, or it's like a dance where everybody, it's sort of like musical chairs, kind of, I think. And mm-hmm. then when the music stops, like the two people at the head of the line just have to look at each other and just insult each other. <laughs> and I'm like, who made up this game? This is a terrible <laughs> like, game. What is this? <laughs> And so then the second round, it, it ends up being Cinderella, you know, in disguise mm-hmm. versus the stepmother. And so you think like, oh, she's going to like really unload. But she's she just starts complimenting her mm-hmm. and saying nice things. You have a beautiful and- speaking voice. Have you ever <laughs> considered like poetry? <laughs> <laughs> Which at first, I was very confused at first because I thought she was saying that as an insult. Like I thought it was like this ironic insult. Right, where you're like, oh. She yeah. got you with your speaking totally. voice. I was very confused, but it was interesting because the stepmother did not know how to respond to kindness. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of got this glimpse into her like frozen, damaged heart, where she's just like, "Stop saying these nice things." Like yeah. I can't, I can't. Uh, it's like the witch. I'm like I'm melting. Like I can't right. handle it. And but then Cinderella has this just kind of. It's actually nice. I don't know why I'm being so like. <laughs> 
but then it's just basically like a kindness festival yeah. and everybody starts complimenting each other and expressing their gratitude for this amazing experience they're having. Which once um, again is a big turn on for Topher. Like kindness yes. is yes. what gets him hot and heavy. And so like to see sure. her kind of introduce this uh, kindness revolution is mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. what I think throws him even more in love with her. Yeah. I also think it's really indicative of the writer. Because we did talk mm-hmm. about Douglas Carter being being very much a sarcastic, com- comedic sure, writer. Sure, And yeah. it makes me wonder if on some level he knows that about himself and wanted mm-hmm. to put something else into the world. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. But I guess that is another way to look at it because I, I was being very critical. No, that, no, right? no. And just no. feeling that it, you know, it, it just felt very heavy handed to me. Yeah. But if you do think of it with a, a little pinch of self-awareness... Yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I don't hate it. Yeah, no. Just to be clear. (laughs) I don't know why I'm being super cynical. No, they've jammed a lot into this version. And so it it may just be one thing too many. And And, and it just moves very fast. Mm -hmm. And yeah, 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 yeah. The one song I wanted to talk about that we haven't yet is Do I Love You Because You're Wonderful, Mm -hmm. which I think is another beautiful Rodgers and Hammerstein song. And actually a really great lyric when you think about it. Do I love you because you're beautiful or are you beautiful because I love you? Mm-hmm. Good question, Topher. Yep. And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Two fundamental truths exactly. at the exact same time. <laughs> and is it safe to say that they live happily ever after? I think we can presume so. Now they can walk, now they can run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To quote another fairy tale turned into a musical. And they have an election, right? Yeah, I think what what he does, the prince nominates. He's like, we're going to have an election for a prime minister who is going to, you know, advise me. He's not like giving up his role as prince. Just to be clear. Yeah, just to be clear. I'm still prince. I'm still prince, everybody. Yeah, I need my armor. There's still a prince. There's still giants and dragons to slay. I'm going to do it because I'm good at it. I got you. He nominates... Uh, Sebastian and he nominates Jean Michel. So they're going to so run against even, each other. Yeah. And he even says, like, you get to choose the way things have always been or the way things could be. What? Like, those are the two platforms, right? And wow. and we don't see the result. Like, I don't think the election happens. It's just. Well, the, it's the, because the they set, had mail in votes and it took way too long to count them. And that would have been Act Three. It got stolen anyway, so, <laughs> you know, it's nothing is fair. Um, um, all in all, wow. <laughs> I think that this musical is about dreamers who change the world. And I think every character who is presented as a dreamer, not just Cinderella, mm-hmm. uh, even though the musical is named after her, has their own arc in terms mm-hmm. of seeing their dreams come true. And I and I do love that. I don't think Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella is done being fiddled with. But that's I think that's very fitting for such a classic story. Mm-hmm. It's very much a story that is so ingrained in our culture. And like you said, it's this archetype experience that we are processing ourselves, you know, analyzing ourselves and as our culture changes and i think we see a lot of that very clearly in you know these six decades 
from the 1950s version to the 2013 version, like mm-hmm. we can see reflections of how society changed during that time in the way that the story is told. Yeah. So I think it's a hundred percent appropriate to never stop messing with how these fairy tales are interpreted. As we keep changing, the story mm-hmm. will keep evolving. It really, really should. Because if all it is, is just a story about a girl falling in love with this dude she barely knows, like, that story needs to die. Yeah, (laughs) and it would have. I mean, to be honest, it would have died already if that's all it was. So onward and upward. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on A Musical Theater Podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at A Musical Podcast where you can connect with us and uh, experience more great content. And while you're at it, hop over to the Tea Public Store where we have great designs based on favorite moments of episodes past and present. It's been a while since I've done a shout out. Thank you to Michael Willett for the music and artwork. I'm always really bad at asking this, but can you guys leave a nice review and maybe rate us and share with your friends? That would be awesome. Miss Sadie... Yo. Talk to me about how we follow you and everything you're up to and your latest project. Yeah. Well, first, I just want to say I encourage everyone to write emails <laughs> to Jeffrey or to whatever <laughs> podcast you are listening to or art and work that you are consuming because I was a total rando. <laughs> <laughs> who emailed Jeffrey because I was listening to this podcast. And uh, one thing led to another. Um, and, and now we're friends. And here we are. Um, so um, I was so grateful that you reached out. Thank you. But it's true because, like, as independent artists, like, you know, people, Jeffrey is working his buns off on this show. Like, <laughs> you know, we listen to these podcasts that are, like, expertly edited and they're just, like, slick and we listen to them and they're ready to go and we don't think about the hours and hours of planning and the research like every episode of this that i have heard you have done so much research and you you. know so much about these backstories and you've put so much thought into all of these different aspects of these shows and so much love into it and that takes a lot of time and then you know of course lining up your guests and preparing them and editing it so As independent artists, we work really, really hard, and we have no idea where our work is going, right? We don't know if anybody's listening to it. We don't know if that's having (laughs) any impact. We don't know unless you tell them. That is literally what we live for. Hallelujah. That's so great because it ain't the money. Nope, nope, (laughs) nope. So no pressure, but I, I am just encouraging you all. To let people know that you appreciate them. Thank I you. learned that from Cinderella, also the 2013 stage revival. There you the go. Kindness, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, not only have I had the immense privilege and so much fun uh, being on the show, which is one of my favorite podcasts, oh, my by gosh, the way. Thank you. But also Jeffrey has contributed his voice to my new podcast. What? Um, what? That is imminently coming out the latest endeavor of my company math theater um which you can find us online at maththeater.com and that is the word math and the british english spelling of the word theater because otherwise it looks like it says math eater and that's not what we're going for (laughs) 
So M-A-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot com. The only um, way to spell theater people, let's be the honest. The only way. The only way. We're on Instagram as maththeater underscore steam. That's S-T-E-A-M oh, for science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Uh, we're also on Facebook. So our latest endeavor is a podcast. It's called History Science Theater, and <laughs> it dramatizes stories from math and science history in musical theater audio format. And this is brand new for us. We are learning what we're doing as we go. This has been a, a, a really educational experience learning how to write a musical for an audio format you are rogers and hammerstein both of them both of them yes thank you (laughs) i try i try to be rogers and hammerstein and julie andrews rolled into one that's that's you know the standards i'm setting for myself (laughs) season one is about chemist and x-ray crystallographer rosalind franklin who has kind of become a feminist icon in recent years because she is best known as being robbed for her work on the discovery of the structure of DNA. But her story is not just a victim narrative. She is an amazing person, amazing career that just covered so much science. And and Jeffrey's in the show. Which I had such a great time. I was really honored that you asked me, truly. And after we did like our little Zoom table read, I felt like so excited because I had never heard of the term x-ray crystallography. I, uh-huh. You know, there was so much of this science that I didn't know. And now it was like stuck in my head because of the song. Mm-hmm. I'm walking around going, x-ray crystallography. <laughs> and and uh-huh. like that's because of you. And so I now I know who Rosalind Franklin is. And I know mm-hmm. about the structure of DNA and how it was discovered. Like, are you kidding me? How did I how did I get so lucky by being a fan of musical theater? So yes, uh, I think Jeffrey makes his debut in episode six. It's I have an a small role in one, uh, towards the a end. Small but crucial role, and you actually get to sing. I think my favorite song. <laughs> it's a it's a goodie. So Jeffrey plays the role of Irish biophysicist J.D. Bernal. You guys, it's it's this true historical figure. It's like Lucky Charms at best. Yeah, don't. <laughs> I don't need your advice on dialects. Yeah, we, oh, all, we yeah, know what this no. is. And that goes for the whole show. <laughs> when I said I say prayers to Julie Andrews, what we told everyone you know, in the process is that we are going more for sincerity than accuracy. Well, congratulations on that. It's interesting that you were like, podcasts are a lot of work. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, you know, because <laughs> you are in the midst of editing that huge project together. Mm-hmm. So uh, all my best to you and Ricky as you work that out. And I'm really excited to hear how you piece it all together. The world of musical theater is so much bigger than the square footage of Manhattan. And I think that Mm -hmm. this pandemic has in many ways proven that because if Broadway doesn't exist, does musical theater still exist? And I I think the answer has to be yes. And you are a wonderful Mm -hmm. example of that. Thank you. I'm making jazz hands again. (laughs) (laughs) And to everybody else out there, don't worry because impossible things are happening every day.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.